I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk lands meadow with you. It's all presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Not surprising, Mr. Meadow. We already have a full bank of calls. Uh, understandably, Giant fans are a little peeved, and, and I get it. We, I, you know, I was on BBK yesterday, Lance, and I talked about heading into that game how, you know, this was a game where if the Giants won, we could start having a legitimate conversation about the division and about winning the NFC East. Just because of the state of the division, you're 2-1 and one in the NFC East. You can really start having conversations about that. They held a two-score lead late in the fourth quarter. And much like has been the pattern in Philadelphia over the years, they were not able to hold on. Yeah, and that has been also a theme, I would say, in general this season, John. I don't think it necessarily just pertains to the Eagles. It's the inability to close out games, finish, right? We've talked about it more often than not. And here was an opportunity where you build a double-digit lead. You're up 21-10 to with a little over six minutes to go. I think the game is falling right into your hands. I would say, John, I thought the Giants put together one of their most impressive, if not the impressive, offensive drive of the season. Agreed. Right? To go 15 plays, 97 yards. You ran the ball effectively with Wayne Goleman, who I thought provided a nice spark. Starting Sterling Shepard comes back from injury. He hooks up with Daniel Jones. And then you know, all of a sudden, you're saying to yourself, hey, you got the Eagles exactly where you want them. Their offense has had trouble moving the ball since the opening drive. You've worn down the defense a little bit. And then 
The Eagles, in a blink of an eye, march down the field, a quick scoring drive in just over a minute. Obviously, that big pass to John Hightower was huge, nearly 60 yards. And then, of course, the third and six, which everybody's going to point to, and rightfully so. Evan Ingram, he'd be the first one to tell you as he spoke after the game, he's got to make that catch because the game is probably over, especially when you're hovering around the two-minute warning. It didn't happen. And the defense had to come back on the field, and the Eagles marched down the field. So, you know, I know it's easy, John, in the wake of this game. Everybody wants to pin it on one individual. I get it. The third and six is something easy to point to, and there's validity behind that. But I'm also not excusing the penalties that collected on each of those final drives. You had two on the defense, and they were costly. So I think you could really point to a variety of factors in the end why the Giants just weren't able to close out this game. Yeah, the Giants, to your point, Lance, got the ball back with 4 minutes and 34 seconds left to go in this game after the Eagles scored that touchdown, um, trailing 21-16. And I said to Bob and Carl uh, during that commercial break, I I said to him, guys, if the Eagles get the get the ball back, I don't feel great about this. And I don't feel great about the Giants winning this game, unless they're giving the ball back after a score. And they started that drive off so well. They ran it up the middle with Gallman for 14, which, by the way, I looked at the tape. The reason he got 14 yards, the Eagles were concerned about the Daniel Jones keeper on the read option. Uh, The next play, Gallman up the middle for 10. Two consecutive first downs. You're down to three minutes to go in the game. Gallman runs for three. Uh, He gets stopped for no gain, so you're third and seven. With uh, the play got ran with about two minutes and 20 seconds to go, give or take. And look, and it's easy to call to the play because really the game's not over. But if the Eagles get the ball back, it's going to be with minimal time left on the clock. Um, and with very little time to go down there and, and score a touchdown. Remember, they need a touchdown at that point, not a field goal. And Jones put the ball where he had to. It hit Ingram in both hands. He said after the game, it's a play he has to make. Daniel Jones, after the game, said, I got to put it in a better spot. Yeah, maybe could he have not let him quite as much shore, but that's just Daniel being a good teammate. And it was an opportunity to put the game away, and the Giants caught him in man-to-man. And what have we talked about all year, Lance? When you get other teams to play man-to-man against you, the players you count on have to win, and you need them to to win those matchups for you. And Ingram won the matchups. Uh, He was was one-on-one with a backup Eagles safety, Will Parks, he beat him on the little uh, slot outside fade, and the ball was there, and he just couldn't come down with the catch. And then, unfortunately, uh, to your point earlier, it was a pattern we've seen throughout this early season where this defense, when they have to make a stop, they know the other team's going to try to pass. The other team knows they're going to try to pass. This defense has not been able to get off the field. And earlier in the game, the Eagles were nickel and diamond them up and down the field with a lot of short stuff. The last couple drives, they made some big plays. Uh, Carson Wentz broke broke protection, found Richard Rodgers coming across the middle for a big play on that final Eagles drive. And then, of course, you know, people want to kill Peppers on that wheel route. I thought his coverage was actually pretty good. Uh, Scott Scott made a hell of a step on him. Wentz made a really good throw. I thought Scott made a really good catch. But, dude, if you get him into first and goal at the 18-yard line, Look, make him, you know, make, make a couple plays to get in there. You can't let him get there on one throw. Uh, that, that's just tough. You get that face mask penalty to move him back from a first and goal at the three to first and goal at the 18, and then that very next play to let him score the touchdown, it's a rough go. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the Jason Kelsey penalty, John, because some of the Eagles players were asked about this after the game, and I was thinking of this at the time the penalty occurred. I was saying to myself, I wonder if Philadelphia is actually welcoming the penalty because it seemed as if 
they clearly struggled in the red zone all throughout the game, and they clearly struggled in close space. And the Giants showed against Washington on that two-point conversion attempt on Sunday how, you know, they're pretty stingy. It was almost as if giving themselves more room (laughs) actually, right, turned out to be beneficial for the Eagles because, to your point, they were able to spread the Giants out. And Wentz said that the Giants were in bracket coverage. He was looking for whoever had the one-on-one matchup because Boston Scott was not his first read on that. And he said he surveyed the field. He saw Scott had the one-on-one with Peppers, and he figured, all right, I'm going to throw it up there, see if Scott can make a play. He actually thought he overthrew him or he put it too high because, you know, Scott is only 5'6", but kudos to the small guy for playing big. He made a great catch. I agree with you. I think Peppers was in good position, unfortunately. Scott got the better of him, and there's the ball game. John, as you just summed up, Evan Ingram has an opportunity, right, to win one-on-one and make the catch. Boston Scott has the opportunity. One guy made the catch. One guy didn't. That's the ballgame. It was. And again, the defense could not get off the field on two consecutive drives at the end of the game. The Hightower big play. Then you had the Rodgers big play. The Scott, you know, 18 yards, close enough big play. And, you know, it's funny. At halftime, Lance, I really felt like this was a game the Giants could win. Because at halftime, the score was 10-7. But if you watched the first half, you felt like the Eagles dominated the game. Yeah. And you sat there and you're like, boy, the Giants are really fortunate here to only be down three points. In the first half, Lance, the Giants only had 124 yards and, four, and 39 of those came on one golden take catch. The Eagles had 222. And the Eagles were marching up and down the field on the Giants, but they could not get the ball into the end zone. They start the game with a touchdown, 11 play, 75-yard for a touchdown. Then they have three of their next four possessions. They get into the Giants' red zone, and they come in with only three points on those three possessions in the red zone, which is why the Giants were in striking distance at halftime. And whenever that happens, you get a feel like, all right, The Eagles have had their run. They moved the ball a lot. The Giants' defense really couldn't stop them. But the Eagles didn't get points out of it. And the Giants now maybe can come back. The defense actually forced three straight three and outs to start that second half. The Giants got that lead because the defense got those stops. The offense made a couple of plays, a couple of big plays by the Giants' offense. But they just couldn't finish it. And it was really a game that I'm not going to say was presented on a silver platter. I think that's a little bit strong. But the Eagles' failures in the red zone certainly oh, yeah. gave the Giants a really good opportunity, despite the fact they were outgained in that first half significantly. 100%. I mean, Philadelphia coming in, John, was one of the best red zone efficiency-wise teams in the NFL. They were 11-15, of 15, 73%. In the last two games, they had combined to go 6-for-6 six six in the red zone. And that was something we emphasized on the pregame show, the fact that the Giants are going to have to take care of business if the Eagles are within the 20. And then, to your point... Well, I would go as far as maybe a silver platter because the Eagles, it's a 10-7 game. Carson Wentz, after the interception that went off of Evan Ingram's hands, we could assign blame all you want. The bottom line is a Giants turnover. So good positioning here for the Eagles. They get in the red zone, and Wentz, I don't know what he was thinking. He throws up a Hail Mary, <laughs> yeah, right? I don't know and what he was, was pretty do- much. Yeah, I don't know what he was doing on that. I don't either, know man. what he was doing, but a relatively easy catch there for James Bradbury. And... That's at least three points, right? Just wiped away. Then the Eagles forced the Giants to go four plays and punt. 
and then you punt again. The Giants then fumble with Deion Lewis, and you're thinking, all right, hey, you have an opportunity to go into the locker room just down by three, despite, to your point, the vast difference in time of possession. Lewis coughs up the ball. Now you give the Eagles another gift, and Philadelphia kept saying, hey, you know what? Thank you, but no thank you. And Jake Elliott misses a chip shot from 29 yards out. So if you're Doug Peterson and the Eagles, you're saying to yourself, ideally, we probably should be leading 16-7 to here at the break, meaning we should have walked away with at least two field goals, and that was not the case. So absolutely a golden opportunity. To me, a few things that I just want to piggyback off of what you said. Sure. John, it was reminiscent to me, this game, of taking the Rams game and the Cowboys game and combining them. Here's why. If you remember, Rams game, Jared Goff and company, they marched down the field, right? They scored the early touchdown. Then they go silent. The Giants regroup. So Philadelphia marches down the field, first possession. Then the Giants' defense regroups, holds them quiet. And then you bring in the Cowboys game where the Giants built an early lead and then Dallas puts together those two lengthy drives at the end of the game. Granted, they didn't get in the end zone, but Andy Dalton did enough to get Greg Zerline in field goal position. So I was thinking back of the Rams game and the Cowboys game. It was basically a double-edged sword. It was the worst outcomes of both of those games. And also the Rams, remember, all of a sudden broke out of their shell late and got the touchdown, similar to what Philadelphia did. So I guess what I'm saying is you're seeing a trend where it's this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde routine, unfortunately, more often than not for the Giants' defense, where the defense starts off good, wears down late in the game, the offense maybe sprinkles in a few good drives here or there, but there's no consistency. The other thing that was amazing in this game, John, there were four turnovers. Nobody scored yeah, off of any of it's these funny. turnovers. And Lance, that was going to be my next point. The turnovers, they really didn't hurt the Giants yeah. that much in this game because the one at the end, look, that— it was over at that point. The Giants, after that holding penalty in Hernandez, they weren't going to score. Look, Jones is holding the ball, trying to make a play. That's what he should be doing. Because if he takes a sack, then the game's over anyway, okay? So he's trying to make a play. That's fine. Uh, the first interception to Ingram, the Eagles didn't score off of it, and Ingram wasn't going to gain a, th- a first down on the play anyway. It was third and seven. He was going to get maybe three or four yards on that catch. So that turnover didn't really hurt the team. Now, you can argue the Lewis fumble, eight loses a possession for the Giants where maybe they could have scored there around midfield, so maybe that cost them three or something like that. But even though the Giants lost the turnover battle, this wasn't a game where, like, oh, it was the takeaways. That, that's what really killed the Giants, even though they were minus one. Yeah, they didn't help, obviously, but that wasn't the reason the Giants lost this game. Absolutely. It was more of the missed opportunities on offense in terms of your playmakers going above the X's and O's, if you want to phrase it that way, and making the necessary plays. And the penalties, I I think that although, once again, Evan Ingram's catch could have very well ended the game, and we could sit here and play the coulda, woulda, shoulda games, John, penalties, how many weeks have we been talking about this? And to me, this was a game where the volume was high. And the timing was terrible because the Giants finished with nine penalties. Now, six of them came on defense, but the bottom line is you had plays that took away positive ones. For example, Ryan Lewis is called for illegal contact. It's a second and 10 for Philadelphia. B.J. Hill has a sack on that play. So, John, we're looking at a third and very long. Instead, now it's a fresh set of downs. The Madre Harper, unnecessary roughness. That was on special teams. So you hit Deshaun Jackson two times, and I technically was Corey Ballantyne. Yeah, it was Ballantyne, yes. Yes, you're right. But mm-hmm. Harper got away with one, I would argue. I agree with that. Because he wound up hitting Deshaun Jackson after Ballantyne's low helmet hit. So, you know, that gives now the Eagles favorable field position. And then you add on 
the Bradbury pass interference and Logan Ryan the hold. Once again, here it's like quicksand. Everything starts to go wrong and you can't find a way to get out of it. And I'm not trying to quote the replacements, but it reminds me of the Keanu Reeves line where his worst fear in football is quicksand because when one thing goes wrong, now everything else follows. It just had that feel late in the game for the Giants. They couldn't get out of their own way, whether it be offense, special teams, or defense. Yeah, this officiating crew I thought was a little more apt to call the illegal contact defensive holding. You had a couple on the Eagles over the course of the game as well. Uh, one gave the Giants a big first down on a deep pass to Golden Tate on a third down, which led, I believe, to one of their touchdowns. And then you had the one on Evan Ingram in the end zone as well, which gave the Giants a fresh set of downs. Yeah. They scored a touchdown on that drive too. So the penalties did go both ways to an extent uh, in this game. A couple other things, Lance, I want to get to. The Giants, the Giants offensive line has to pass protect better. Every time... Daniel Jones has to do a straight drop back where you're not max protecting or you're not moving the pocket or you're not running play action. There's somebody in, in, in his face. It happens every time. He has to have the ball out so fast. Oh, he doesn't have a chance. And look, I get it. It's, it's young. And a lot of people made fun of me when I said, oh, you know, losing Nate Solo this year is actually a pretty big loss. Well, do, do, you, think he's, do you think that's still funny now? Do you? Because I think people love to have Nate Solo at left tackle right now, to be quite honest with you. Um... Andrew Thomas is struggling. He's got to play better. Uh, Cam Fleming allowed a couple of pressures from Brandon Graham. So the offensive line lands in these passing situations, and this goes back to a point I made last week, the reason the Giants are struggling late in these games is because they're not built well for two-minute situations, right? Offensively, when you know the Giants have to pass and you can't you know, move the pocket, max protect play action to protect the offensive line, teams are getting pressure. They're getting the Daniel Jones. And on the other side... When other teams are passing, the Giants' pass rush isn't consistent enough. And yeah. outside of James Bradbury, I think teams are figuring out you're going out there and, you, and you're going to attack the other corners, whether it's somebody in, in the slot or it's whoever's playing the other outside spot. And that's what these teams are doing. And they're just not built well for these two-minute must-pass situations to come away with some of these close games. Yeah, I think that spells it out beautifully, John. I think that you're seeing in clutch moments – Everybody say to themselves, just avoid James Bradbury. And I know, granted, he picked up the pass interference call, so Wentz did target technically his man once. But for the most part, you've seen Ryan Lewis, you've seen Corey Ballantyne, Madre Harper, Isaac Yadam, you name it, right? Yeah. All of those guys have been the ones targeted on the opposite side of the field. And, I mean, any offensive coordinator is going to study the personnel and say, hey, would I rather throw to the guy that leads the NFL and passes defense and has been extremely opportunistic because he had yet another takeaway, or would I rather test the opposite side? So I don't think that's stunning. And that clearly has played out very well for the opposition. And as far as your point about the offensive line, yeah, it's been troubling for Daniel Jones. I think he deserves credit because sometimes he has created something out of nothing. And unfortunately, he's not getting enough credit for that because, of course, the turnovers are piling up and the inability to finish drives. But what stands out to me, when you look at how many times the Eagles, John, this is not a high-blitzing team. No. Jim Schwartz tells his guys, I'm going to win with my front four because I'm confident in them. So it wasn't as if he was bringing the house all throughout that game. And when you have to deal with four guys that you have to block, and you have six, because if you include the running back or at some point they were going with the jumbo Lance, package. They, they were blocking with seven yeah. or eight on some plays. <laughs> no, so seriously, they go. were leaving in two tight ends and a running back. And still, there was pressure yeah. coming through the middle. So, you know, plays like that, you wonder what's going on here. 
and this is not something that's overly complicated. It's just a matter of execution. It was interesting. I saw this morning uh, Brian Baldinger, who clearly does a great job analyzing plays from all over the NFL. He was focusing on a Giants play, and there was one where they gave the ball to Wayne Goleman, and they were trying to pitch it out. It appeared to Golden Tate on a reverse, and the opposite side of the field would have been beautifully set up for Golden Tate to get some nice yardage. And unfortunately, penetration was allowed up the gut and Goldman immediately gets tackled. So he made the wise decision because you don't want to then try to pitch it back and then the ball fumbles or whatever. So I actually thought he made the good decision, but it's a typical example of whether it's a pass play or a run play, there's penetration happening, which is interrupting and spoiling any opportunities that Jason Garrett may want to reveal with some of his creative play calling. Yeah, and, and it defeats the purpose. To your point, Lance, according to Pro Football Focus, and their numbers aren't finalized yet because it's the morning after the game, they only had the Eagles on blitzing nine times. Yeah, there you go. Over the course of the game. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Only nine times, not nine, nine out of 39 passing snaps. That's it. It's not a lot. So they were getting there with four. All right, one more thing I want to do, uh, because I know people want to talk about it, and yes, I got a chuckle out of it too. Uh, <laughs> Detino was afraid Jones was hurt. So was Howard. So Howard Cross thought the same thing. Uh, but Daniel Jones, and I think Ian Rappaport had this morning, right, that it was like the fastest run by any quarterback in the last two years. Yeah, from next-gen stats. Yeah, from next-gen stats, and that's faster than Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, which is ridiculous. But after 80 yards, Daniel Jones's body just said, I've had enough. Pearson, bring up the prod pot for me here. Here is the Bob Pop and Carl Banks call on the game last night. Let's take a listen. I think it's worth uh, giving it a listen to the folks that haven't heard it. Hand off. Well, Jones is going to keep it. Jones is going to run it. Jones across midfield. It's a foot race. Can he go all the way? Daniel Jones to the 20, and he stumbles, and he falls down at the 10. <laughs> <laughs> The oh. turf monster got him. Stumbling, rumbling, bumbling, and he falls down. He was on his way. Oh, man, Carl. Weevils wobble, but they don't fall down. Jones is not a weevil. He was on his way to an 88-yard <laughs> run, and then he just... And there you have it. Uh, and I feel bad because it was a heck of a run. He outran everybody. It shows his athleticism, and then that happened at the end, which is kind of just – it kind of represents 2020 for the world and, and, and the Giants so far, Lance. It really does. Good. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> no. Yes, the unhappy finish, which uh, unfortunately has been a, a big staple of 2020. There's no doubt about it. I appeared to look at it the way of him just – running out of gas. I wasn't necessarily thinking of injury. No, I me guess neither. I upon either. looking at it again, maybe you think of that just because, unfortunately, the volume of injuries that has occurred this season, which are the non-contact variety. But, I mean, you could tell towards the end that the man was grasping for gas. It was a <laughs> heck of a play. And the good news is... The Giants did score. Yes, they, they did, did punch it in, yes. okay? So you have to provide that context. Yeah, clearly, if Daniel Jones goes back, yeah, he wants to finish the play, and you don't leave it into the hands of having to run a play or two. But the bottom line is the Giants punched it in, and I think that's important because you know struggles in the red zone has overshadowed this team. But it is sort of maybe a microcosm of the Giants season where there are flashes of brilliance and then just heartbreaking finishes, and that has 
been pretty much the theme of 2020 thus far. Yeah, no question about it. I was worried he had tore up his knee when Devontae Freeman got ran yeah, over I was by more the concerned Eagles about that linebacker. That yeah. was scary. Yeah, and I brought that up on the post game when Paul brought up the fact that he was more concerned about the run. I said, when you got your running back pushed back into the ankle lower leg area of your quarterback, I'm far more concerned about that yeah. than I am a guy in the open field just saying, hey, you know what? I got to tap out at this point. Folks, I want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which you can find on the Giants mobile app on Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platforms. And that's all presented by Investors Bank. The phone number and we have a full bank of calls, is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We'll take you guys in the order you got in. So it'll be Antonio, Jamal, then Mike. We'll get to all three. We'll try to go through callers quick today. We know you guys are fired up and you're annoyed. So make sure you get the point you really want to make out first because I'm going to try to move through these callers pretty quick. Let's go to Antonio in Manhattan. He'll lead us off on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Antonio, go ahead. Hey, John Lance, what's going on, guys? What's up, I'll make man? it real quick. Um, first of all, the defense gave up 22 points. At the end of the day, 22 points should get us a win. I, I tweeted this earlier the week. I said we need 24 points to win this game. If we would have gotten 24 points, we would have won yeah, this game. That's fair. It is what it is. That's fair. Um, on terms of the offense, listen, I, I, I call in the show and I get a lot of blame on – I put a lot of blame on Jones, but I'm starting to see that this offense scheme is not good. Listen, in the interception that Jones threw, first and foremost, the, the Eagles were showing a two-linebacker blades on a nickel formation right up the middle. And, God, we just don't call motions for the life of it. We are the worst team when it comes to motion. And it, if he would have called any type of motion, he probably maybe would have seen that there's maybe they're not going to blitz. Maybe it's something else. Maybe he'll see that it's a zone. And yeah, no, but hold on. No, no, no. Wait, no I'm telling you, hold on. What did yeah. that interception have to do with Daniel Jones making a bad decision? Evan Ingram dropped the because pass. He thought, because he thought it was an all-out blitz. And then he was like, okay, this slant is going to be wide open to Ingram. He might get a positive yard out of it. But because he can't, he doesn't have a motion, we don't do no motion, we don't show anything, the defense isn't going to tip their hand either. Why, it wasn't a blitz. Why do you it think, why do you think the two linebackers in the A-gap would have moved if the Giants used motion? No, no, but they, you would have seen the other defenders. They would have shown, okay, maybe this is the zone. Let's see what's going on. You could have seen different things. It would have given you more information about that play. Uh, I, anyway, honestly, Antonio, I think you're reaching on that. I really do. No, 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 no. Listen, you can even move the running back from the back to see if it was it, the linebackers have to move then. And if they're not moving, there's something is off. One man is unaccounted for. Wait, wait, so wait, 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 wait. Move who? Who do you want to move? You can move a running back. You can move the running back out for that formation. Uh, the run, it was an empty backfield, Antonio. Oh, okay. Um, and my second point is, he's a second. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. You still could do a motion. Regardless of the fact, you can still motion. Mm -hmm. that, and, and that's absolutely true. Um, in the second half of the game, there was 35 plays total calls by the Giants, not counting a running back moving from one side to the other of Jones, not counting a wide receiver going – taking a step in and then coming back, so basically not going on a, on a whole cross motion, there was one motion in the entire half. One motion. So if you – and I just out of curiosity, I popped up the second half of the Kansas City and Bills game, and the first three plays in the third quarter for the Chiefs, the very first three plays, out of, out of the four plays, three were motions. Like, it's crazy how 
Daniel Jones, not only does he have to, it, it's the same thing that J, my problem with Jason Jarrett was in Dallas. Pre, De, Prescott had to play with, line up and play, line up and play. The Giants just line up and play for the most part, and just it, that's just not competitive. Well, I just NFL, don't think this is a game, Antonio, at the end of the day, that you point to play calling. I mean, the bottom line is Evan Ingram was open. He didn't make the catch. Wayne Goldman was I, running the ball effectively. And, and by the way, Antonio, just yeah, FYI, yeah. Antonio, FYI, yesterday, mm-hmm. according to Pro Football Focus, the Giants mm-hmm. used shifter motion on 45% of their plays. The Eagles used shift in motion on 32% of their plays. Just but, FYI. But, but I'm, explain, I'm, I'm explaining to you that if you're moving from motion technically could be the, line, the running back moving from one side of Jones to the other one. That's motion technically, but is it really doing anything? Not really. It's not. You, you can move. You can move your wide receiver from go, almost moving up to like the, the tackle and then bring him right so, back so, to where so, he was. Antonio, look, I don't want to get get down on the specifics here. Do you want jet sweep motion right. on every play? Do you want a wide receiver well, changing sides of the field? I mean, well, look look at look at this example of what the of, of what of what the, the the Kansas City Chiefs did. They were in I formation, right? Two receivers on each side and tight end. They went to twins, twins right, tight end left. So they moved the tight end from one side to the other, moved the wide receivers from one side to the other. It's just complicated. It just makes the defense think a lot more. Right now, defense are looking at tape and they're saying, "Listen, when they line up, when they line up, when they line up just like this, this specific wide receiver is only going to run these four, these different routes from this formation." There is no way you know that, Antonio. Think about there. There is no way you know if that's, that's true they or look not. That's what they look at the film. Antonio, it's probability. Are, so you're telling me you're tracking at home what wide receivers run what routes out of what formation? I'm not looking. I'm not looking at. I'm, I'm, I'm so not how do you know that there's a pattern then? How do you know there's because a pattern if you're not tracking? We it? Do, we used to do that in college. That's what we used to do in college. In college ball, we would look at film and we would see tons of tape and we'll see right but just because but just because there's not a lot of motion doesn't mean the offense is predictable those two things don't necessarily have to be the same those things are are completely separate factors they're not necessarily linked okay i mean you know what i'm saying that's fine that's fine all right thank you pal i just i'm with lance i don't think this is a game where you come off this game and, 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 and you worry about the play calling because I actually thought some of the play calling was on point. The bottom line is the execution wasn't there. I mean, for example, I talked about a play earlier where, you know, they have Golden Tate set up on a reverse. Look on the left side of the field, John. The blocking would have been great. I mean, Tate could have walked away with a touchdown for all we know, or at least a 20-yard gain. That didn't involve a lot of motion. That was after the snap, the motion. The execution wasn't there. There was a breakdown up the gut. The Eagles got there. I believe it was Fletcher Cox, and there was no man's land for the running back. And, you know, they've been moving Evan Ingram around on some reverses. Sometimes it's led to positive gains. Other times, obviously, negative yardage, mixed results. But, you know, I feel like they're trying to put guys in different positions. I just say execution is what came back to bite the Giants. I really don't think it was the inability for them to line up guys in places where they can convert. And especially early in the season, they were not using a lot of shift in motion. They've actually used a lot more the last couple of weeks. Um, The percentage has gone up. Now, could you argue that you can use some more of that? You know, the same thing that, you know, that uh, San Francisco does and the Rams do. You know, some of that jet sweep stuff to get people moving around. The Bears do that a lot too, Lance, and create sure. some confusion pre-snap. Yeah, I think I think there's a I think you can certainly make that argument that you could try to incorporate some more of that stuff. I think that's fair and we can have that larger conversation. I just don't think after this game against Philadelphia is the time to have it. And just in general, 
I really think Jason Garrett's coaching this offense with a hand time behind his back because, and I made this point earlier, whenever this team has to do a straight drop back with a five-man protection, the quarterback gets killed. It's hard as an offensive coordinator to run an offense when you're dealing with that reality. It just is. So does that mean that personnel actually matters, John? Is that what you're saying? Are, are you saying that we can't just look at the Dallas film when you have three pro bowlers on the offensive line and expect that to magically be duplicated with another team when the personnel changes? Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, players tend to matter. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it's truly amazing that this is why I don't like when conversations go in the direction of, well, the Dallas offense was top five for X amount of years, and they put up this amount of points. Yeah, well, you had Dak Prescott, you had Zeke Elliott, you had Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. They just added C.D. Lamb, and you had, for the most part, unfortunately now they can't showcase those guys because they're banged up, but pro bowlers on the offensive line. Four of them. Four. That makes quite the difference in terms (laughs) of the level of execution. So this is not an excuse for Jason Garrett. It's just that when you take a coach and he wants to implement the system, but he has completely new personnel, it just doesn't magically come to life when the level of the players are not the same. Now, again, I think it's fair. You can start talking about more motion. I think that's a conversation we can have, but I think that's a conversation for next Tuesday or next Wednesday, not necessarily for the day after this this particular game. And I, I do think, you know, the, the idea that if you don't use a lot of motion, the offense is automatically predictable and everyone knows what you're going to do. I don't think those things are necessarily linked. I think it's a it, it's two separate issues that you're kind of putting together when they're not necessarily linked and joined. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. Let's go back to the phones. Jamal is in Dallas. He's up next. Hey, Jamal. What's going on, fellas? Thanks What's up? Do you right. Man, that was a tough one last night, man. Yes, it was. Had him, I, I, I thought I was rock, watching Rocky, a Rocky movie. I thought we were going to actually beat with, with a win. Unfortunately, but, uh, the roles got reversed. The Eagles well, the Eagles were Rocky, not the Giants yeah. last night. Stallone right, was right, in right, Philadelphia, right. yeah. Right, 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 exactly. And I, and I thought we were going to try to come up with a win with an upset. But, man, I mean, and you said only a few points, but so my issue with the last play, kind of what you talked about, if we know we have a problem with drop back, we only have 40 seconds left. We know he's getting a lot of pressure. Why are we trying to pull out something, a rollout, sprint out to get Daniel Jones moving down the field? I mean, you can't tell me at that point in the game where they spying him. Um, I no, because the, the problem work. the problem with that in, in, in that situation, Jamal, is that the Eagles are going to be playing his own defense. They're playing right. four deeper quarters. So everyone's going to have their eyes forward. So if you roll the quarterback out and you have seven guys, eight guys in coverage, I, I got to look if it was a three or four man rush on on you know uh, certain plays, but you have seven or eight guys and then you cut the amount of field that Daniel Jones can use in half, it's going to be really hard for him to find space down the field, and it's also going to limit the amount he can run because nobody's backs are turned to the quarterback because they're not in man defense; they're all facing the quarterback. So yeah, maybe he can run for eight nine yards or something like that. Great. But in that situation, you have no timeouts. You need big plays. You do a rollout and Jones runs, you lose 10 seconds and gain 10 yards. Guess what? The Eagles will sign up for that in a second. But think about it. If they're in zone and bracket play already and we're throwing dink and dunk passes right in the middle of the field, there's no difference, right? So I'd at least rather us make the defense make an adjustment to us than opposed to us. We can't throw the ball deep. We already know that. They're playing two over the top, so we're not going to get anything deep on the sideline unless there's a break of coverage. 
So we know, all right, let's use our best attribute, which is our quarterback who can move. He can, he, he can, he can, he can maneuver. Well, I so hear you, Jamal, but my point is that I don't want to take half the field away from him. Because so if I, I have a chance to make a play down the field, I want to give him the full field to work with. I got you. Okay. And then Evan Ingram, man. I know Lance is saying that, you know, it was a play, and he can't, you know, it's, it's just one person. But, man, he – I hate to say it, man. He, he deserves it. He is our he is our person we drafted, right? He's supposed to be our guy, and he's not playing above the exit and oh. Well, and the problem, too, Jamal, not, it wasn't just the one play at the end of the game either. It was also the interception in the first half. Yeah, that went off his right, hands. Exactly. So that's, so that's two mistakes, and it seems like every time Jones – Attempts to give Ingram a ball that's 50-50, it seems to be um, on the other end. It seems like the defense benefits than opposed to us. It's like, come on, Ingram, we're trying to get you the ball. Yes, as he make plays throughout the game, but when we need you to make the play, it's like, come on, kid. Like, we we want to we want to appreciate you, we want to value you, but you're not helping us out here. <laughs> I mean, no, if he makes no. that game, he's a hero. If he makes that play, he's a hero. We're not talking about Daniel Jones fumble. We're not talking about do we need a, do we need to look at another quarterback because we win the game we ice the game there we were making momentum right and in the defense I mean you're gonna hate when I say this you're gonna hate me for this but I'm gonna comment on what Charlie said a couple weeks ago he's right about the deep the secondary man we got a lot of backups back there that that don't know what to do when crunch time comes I mean all those penalties oh my gosh they came out of nowhere they came in the ro- I mean. Penalties got the penalties. We broke down. And I don't understand where we didn't have a chance. I guess we couldn't call a timeout to try to settle our troops down because at this point you could tell they were all rattled. There was too much going on for them. It was too, you know, the pressure was on. And at some point we just needed to get them to get the composure under control and, and, and make a stop. Well, I mean, Jamal, I hear you. I, I think I, – I... I'm not willing to say it happened because they were rattled or they don't know what to do when the pressure's on. Here's the bottom line. Did you know who Ryan Lewis was two months ago? No. Did you know who Madre Harper was two months ago? No way. Did you know who Isaac Yadam was two months ago? No, sir. Let's reading only reading them up and seeing them pop up that they're on the team. That, that there's your answer. It's not. It's no. I'm serious. It's not complicated. To Lance, Lance, you made the point. Players matter, right? Yeah. Players right. matter. Well, right. and fundamentals and, matters too. Yeah. Let's not so, forget about that, so, Jamal. It's about also, you know, showcasing the fundamentals you showcase in the first quarter and the fourth quarter. It's the old debate about people say that refs should swallow their whistles in the fourth because they shouldn't decide a game. And thanks for weighing in. But my argument is no. If you're going to call a penalty in the first quarter, you should call it in the fourth quarter the same way because fundamentals don't get thrown out the window. I agree. And you look at the penalties – you know, Logan Ryan's called for a hold. Bradbury's called for a pass interference. You know, I've heard people weighing in, oh, it's ticky-tacky fouls. I actually thought they were warranted. I didn't think the refs were being ticky-tacky because, John, as you pointed out, they were being as hard on the Eagles, I thought, throughout the course of this game, too. I thought it was actually called quite fair both ways. Yeah, the Ryan, Lewis, the Ryan Lewis one I thought was the most questionable, but when he tried to break outside Lewis, I thought did kind of grab the back of his jersey. Yeah. And whenever you grab a jersey, that's a very easy call for the official to be honest with you, um, Bradbury, I mean, you can argue that it was an inadvertent tangling of the feet, but Bradbury also had his hands on the guy's back, and I think that's probably why that got called. So, you know, look, it is what it is. I'm never one to blame the officiating. You know that. I mean, there's a I'm rare occasion, like the end of that Saints-Rams game was just egregious. You know, that's something where we can have the conversation, but nothing rose to that level in this game. 
So, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think this is a deal where you look at the officials and you say, oh, boy, you know, if those refs didn't screw us, we would have had a much better chance of winning. I, I just I just well, uh, didn't see it. And here's the other thing. Penalties aside, let's not forget, if you look at the game-winning touchdown drive for the Eagles, John, how about these plays, which had nothing to do with penalties? Wentz hits Richard Rodgers right out of the gate for 11, 11 yards and then 30 yards. That's 41 yards. Yep that they got in the blink of an eye, no penalty related. Okay, then you get the pass interference, then Scott runs for 12, and then Scott runs for four. So do the math, 16 on top of the 41, completely unrelated to penalties. Yes, the penalties were killer, but also the Eagles getting big chunk plays was what made it even worse. So you can't point to the officials and you can't point to anybody else being responsible for the bottom line, not making the necessary stops when you need it the most, and preventing the Eagles from getting into favorable field position. Hey, Giants fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. 201-939-4513, you're listening to Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Mike in Orlando's up next. Hey, Mike. Hey, how's it going, guys? What's uh, up? Another tough loss for the Giants. Another tough loss. Yeah, as bad as it gets, Brian. Mike, Mike, as bad as it gets. Last I don't know night. You guys, but it took me a long time to go to sleep last night after that one. I mean, being up 11 points was it six minutes to go in the game? I thought we had it. I really did. But then that quick that quick pass down the field that got them that, that first uh, score, and then I started to get nervous. I'm like, here we go again. Here we go. So, uh, real quick, I just want to ask you a question. How many years in the league does a position player have to be in the – how many years in the league does a position player do you find out? Is he worthy of staying on a team or moving on from him? Is he helping or hindering the team? How many years would you say? I would say – I would say th- after three years, you should have a pretty good idea. I think it's fair, Lance, three years. Yeah, I think three years is critical, especially since if you're talking about a first-round pick, I mean, just the mathematics of the contract, by year four, you're going to have to determine whether or not you want to pick up the fifth-year option. So, yeah, the first three years are critical, but remember, and I think I know who you're alluding to, Mike, at the end of the day, when the guy doesn't have a huge sample size because of injuries, it makes it that much more difficult, in fairness, to assess the player and what he can contribute to the team. Yeah, Mike, you had a little noise on your line. I, I had to let you go there. Um, yeah, and look, I think some positions are different. You take have a little bit more patience for certain players. You know, pass rushers and offensive linemen sometimes take longer to develop. Quarterbacks sometimes take yeah. a little bit longer to develop. But otherwise, you should have a pretty good idea of, of what a player is going to be in three years. Again, assuming, to Lance's point, that they've been healthy and they've actually been out there and gotten a fair amount of snaps and you can have a good idea of exactly what they're able to do in, in, in specific schemes. Well, and John, here's another factor, too, which I think is important. And this is why I think three is a good barometer. But when you have a player who's a young player that also has been thrown into multiple schemes in a very short period of time, I would argue that also makes it slightly more difficult to evaluate the player. because Especially for a quarterback. Especially for a quarterback, there's no doubt about it. Maybe skilled position players, you could say, could easily adjust because maybe they're not asked to do as much. But I think in fairness, everyone, at least on this Giants team right now, 
part of the conversation is, whether it be on the defense or offensive side of the ball, they've had to learn new systems. And that goes back to college. So I think that further convolutes things. Yeah, though I think we're at the point now, Lance, we're through seven games, seven weeks. I think, you know, oh, no offseason, no training camp. I, I think we can start sliding away from that at this point. At this yeah, point, well, I, think I mean, everybody is certainly on the same wavelength. Yes. There's no doubt about it. But I will say to the earlier caller when we were talking about motion and everything, when you throw out, by the way, teams like the Chiefs and the Bills, keep in mind continuity they have working in their favor, John. So this is not an excuse, but what Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid are able to implement at this point is calculus. What the Giants mm-hmm. are working with, in fairness, is basic geometry because they haven't been together that long. So that, I think you have to take that into consideration. Maybe the individual execution, a little bit different, not necessarily the team execution. Mike in, Mike in Orlando, one more point you wanted to make. Mike, what's your last point? No, I just want to bring up some stats for you. I mean, if you look at Evan Ingram's career with us, I mean, the first year, he did amazing. 700 and something yards, uh, six touchdowns. But then uh, 2018, goes down a bit, 500 or so, three touchdowns. Yeah, but how many games? 2019 yeah, last well, he was year. hurt, though. He was hurt that year. Okay, well, what about 20 last year? He was also hurt last, last year. Last year he was hurt. <laughs> he got well, banked okay, up, remember? Well, there you go. So you have an injury-prone guy, and he's not performing. Okay. This guy's dropping balls, missing. Like you said, the, the plays to win games, he's not, he's not being clutch. You need a guy to make those plays. And as a tight end, he can't block, and he's dropping balls. So what, at one point do you say, this is not the right guy for your team? If you're not helping us, you're hurting us. Well, look, this is this is the fourth year of his rookie deal, and Mike, thanks for the call. Good stats. Um, and you'll make a decision. Do you have the fifth-year option on him if you want it? Now, I believe that option was picked up, Lance, before it the was. new rules of the CBA. So I believe it's only guaranteed for injury, and it's not guaranteed, period. One of the big changes in the CBA, for the folks that don't know, is that any fifth-year options that from here on out that get picked up, they're guaranteed no matter what. So if you pick up that fifth-year option, that dude's on your team. I do not believe that applies retroactively to Ingram's draft class. Does it, Lance? I don't think it does. I don't know off the top of my head. It's a good question. I'd have to look that up for confirmation. I, I do know the language did change, yes. to your point. I'm not sure, though, whether or not that applies to uh, Evan's class. I don't think if, it if does. If it's the timing of the new CBA or the timing in which you were drafted, that's the other thing that my I would My guess need. is that when the option was picked up and that fifth-year option would have been activated before the new CBA. So I'm thinking it doesn't, but I'm I, don't don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. You know, it's tough with all this stuff. I haven't actually read the full CBA. <laughs> Let's go to Brian in Atlanta. <laughs> He's up next. Brian, what's up? Hey, guys. How are you? Nice to talk with you. Hey, thanks for calling hey, in, Brian. First time, yeah, first time I'm calling. I'll be, I'll be quick here. So this, you know, this really hurts me to say this because, you know, I love this team. My family, my kids, we're, we're huge Giants fans, but I want to be a pragmatist. The, the, the Giant problems here are systemic. So, so let's evaluate uh, the Super Bowl era. Where would this team be without Pete Rozelle? So let, let's look at the team, right? Go back to the 1970s. Those were the dark days of the franchise, right? Commissioner Rozelle comes in, effectively forces the hiring of uh, George Young. That leads to the hiring, the eventual succession to uh, Ernie Accorsi. Those two hires, guys, represented the two most impactful uh, drafts. Uh, uh, okay, let go me, ahead, but I, I, I don't think it's fair to leave out the hiring of Tom Coughlin, which was super important. But okay, go ahead. 
Let, guys, guys, I'm going there. Okay, yeah. go ahead. You got those, it. Those two, those two hires led to LT and Eli. Those two hires led to Parcells and Coughlin. Okay, we're in agreement on that. No, no, no. Well, Wellington Mara is the one that hired Tom Coughlin. Just FYI, that was Wellington Mara's hire. A course. I mean, I read a course his book, right? He he may have he may have. You know, had some issues with Coughlin, but he he signed off on the hire. Oh, no, no, he signed off on it, but that that was spearheaded by Wellington. In fairness, okay, all right, yep, and you know, God bless Wellington. Of course, go love Wellington. But there's, let, let, again, going back to being practical, there's absolutely no reason to believe that this will change anytime soon, unless and until they hit on the GM, which is going to fix the scouting, right? Fix personnel shortfalls. But let's just call it like it is in the Super Bowl era. The Maras and the Tishes have never, without the intervention of the league itself, proven capable of building a winner. Uh, I mean, to completely take credit away from them for making Ernie Accorsi the general manager, I don't think is fair. You know, the Maras were in charge when they named Ernie Accorsi GM. They didn't have to give him the job. I don't think it's but, fair but, to, to, to remove that from the equation. You know what I'm saying? John, didn't he learn to a degree? I know he goes back to the cults and everything, but didn't he learn yeah. to a degree at the knee of George Young? No, he did, but they he but the but the ownership still had to hire him for the job. I'm not taking any credit away from the Maras of the Tissues. God bless them, right? I think they're among the best owners in professional sports. But they have got to get this GM situation. All right, Brian, I, Brian I, I will put it this way, and I think this is your larger point, and I think we can agree on this without getting into the nitty-gritty finger-pointing details. The team has to do a more consistent and better job drafting from top to bottom for them to become a more consistent winner, and I think that but is very to, fair. I agree. Well, that's, Brian, that's, hold, that's hold on. The, 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 the other thing, though, that, that there, I think is important to note here. evaluate the Super Bowl era, guys, right? We are O for the Super Bowl era, were it not for Pete Rozelle. No, but again, you're taking. But how can you not give them any credit for Ernie Corsi? And if you're taking away credit right. for Corsi and you're taking right, away okay, credit okay. for George so Young, Ernie, you're you're erasing yeah. thirty years. Well, Brian, you can't erase thirty years. years. Well, well, Brian, hold on. If you're if you're also crediting George Young for mentoring Ernie Corsi, who do you think worked under Ernie Corsi? Jerry Reese and Dave Gettleman. Both worked under Ernie. So if you're saying yeah, that it's did, the mentorship program, then that's a Roselle, continuation of did, that. Who did Roselle handpick and appoint? Not a Corsi, not Reese, not Gettleman, George Yeah, Young. but they yeah, all George worked Young under did, one another. Did, right. do, do you understand? Remember, George Young wanted to fire Parcells. I'm not saying he's perfect. Parcells handpicked Hanley. No one's perfect here. But you cannot argue the fact, right? We have no evidence to believe that the Giants would have a single Super Bowl trophy without Pete Rozelle and the other owners. There's no reason, there's no evidence to suggest otherwise. It's hard to argue against the negative. Nobody has any idea what would has any idea what would happen if that went a different way. Is it possible they wouldn't have a Super Bowl? Sure. Is it possible they would have a Super Bowl? Sure. It's a hypothetical so, argument, then, though. So, and by the way, George Young yeah, also chose Ray Hanley over Bill Belichick, by the way. Yeah, so, yeah, so, Look, so I, to I your point, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I love this team. My sons are listening to the show. Right? This, is, this is like family to us, okay? But the, unfortunately, the reality is, 
And last night's game was just, you know, a, another chapter in the story. This is systemic. And I, I can't see – I have no – I'm not going to throw out Lewis Riddick or I'm – not, I'm not throwing out names. I have no idea where this is going. But that, that is the principal issue facing this organization. And if we missed on Jones, and I don't necessarily think we did, but if we did, right, that's three steps back, one step forward. Oh, sure it is. Yeah, of course it I is. I mean, the franchise quarterback you're talking about. No, look, look Brian, I, I think your overarching point is in terms of, you know, needing to, to do a better job of accumulating talent, and obviously, look, that was the point Lance and I were making earlier, right? The players matter. So that, of course, is a big part of this. So, yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. Thanks a lot for the call. We appreciate it. And trust me, we, we feel your pain. We get it. We got to come in. And, <laughs> Lance and I have been doing these shows. What was our first year, Lance, 2011, 2012? 2010, I think it may have been even earlier. I mean, we might were have doing been the 09, show. It right? started at 9.30 in the morning. Remember we used to do the show? Well, th- and that's why it was Big Blue Kickoff. It was supposed to be the start of the day, right? That's why we Correct. called it Big Blue yeah. Kickoff. It might have been 2009. I, I want to say it may have been 09. I believe it was. Yeah. So we've been doing this a long time. And, and, and trust me, we would love nothing more than to be sitting here in October talking about, you know, how many games you're up in the NFC East, playoff matchups, you know, do you think we want to be getting calls about the 2022 NFL draft in October? <laughs> Trust me, we well, do we're not. we're going to turn them away if that's where it goes <laughs> anyway. I'll tell you that right now. We do not. I have no interest in speculating about the draft, okay? I want to enjoy the season regardless of the results, okay? I want to analyze and break down games. We've done enough draft talk for months. I'm tired of it. <laughs> Correct. And I think it's also unfair to label the entire Jerry Reese tenure as something that was extremely, you know, poorly performed and done. Because what he did from 2007 to 2011, there were some really good picks in there. Uh, there was some bad luck. Kenny Phillips injury, Charles Thomas injury, Steve Smith injury, the Keem Nicks injury eventually, you know, Victor Cruz's injury. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there that he had bad luck in. Now, you want to look at the drafts from like 2012 to 2017? Yeah, look, we've talked about it in the show a million times. You know, that's a fair conversation to have, but... You know, I don't think it's fair to say, if you look at this organization's history, Lance, to say that all the success was because of something the NFL, you know, had a hand in and Pete Rozelle had a hand in. And all the failures is on the the, uh, the franchise and, and the organization. I don't think, if you look at it fairly, I don't think that's a fair way to look at it at all. No, well, because at the end of the day... Giants ownership has to then make the decision in terms of who the successors are going to be. And as I mentioned earlier, John, if the goal is to provide stability, and I always bring up the Steelers because I need one hand to tell you how many head coaches and GMs the Steelers have had going back to when Chuck Knoll took over in 1969. The reason why they built the organization to that point is they built an in-house working relationship where one guy grooms another guy, the system is strong, and then you pass the baton on. So the Giants have done the same thing. George Young groomed Ernie Accorsi, who then had Jerry Reese and Dave Gettleman work under him. They all learned from one another. Have all the picks worked out to your point? No. Do they need to improve it? Absolutely. But at the same time, with Dave Gettleman, and I understand he's been put under the microscope, John, James Bradbury has been an excellent signing, okay? I don't think we're talking enough about him. So Every is, single game we're Blake talking Martinez about Blake Martinez, too. Okay, Blake Martinez. Uh, Leonard Williams, I think, has drastically improved, at least in the early stages of the season. You certainly want to see more, and you want to hope that it carries out the rest of the season. 
Darius Slayton has turned out to be a very nice pick, and the jury is still out, of course, with a few other selections. So the point is, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, there's mixed results, but there's also some good that's come of recent transactions. It hasn't all been bad. So if we're going to be fair, if you want to be hard on some of the draft picks that have occurred even before Gettleman, you also need to look at some of the signings that were made that have actually brought this defense a far way compared to where they were at this point last season. All right, Lance, uh, we have a coach coming in to do his coach's show shortly after one, so we got to get these last two callers in before one. Let's go to Doug in Rochester. He's up next. Hey, Doug. Hey, what's up, John? I ain't talked to you guys in a while. How you doing? All right, Doug, we're a little short on time, right, man. Doug. What do you got for us? Um, yeah, I'm the Giants. I'm not going to sit here and dwell on that game. Um, I just want to say that, you know, the defense um, is still getting better because – I was actually shocked when Troy Aikman and Joe Buck said the Giants defense is 12th ranked in the NFL. 12th ranked. I was shocked. Now, in fairness, after the game last night, they're down to 17th, just FYI. Life comes at you fast in the NFL. Yes, it does. (laughs) Yeah, but that kind of surprised me right there. But like I said, the defense, once they stop making these mistakes and giving up these chunk plays, and like I said, Joe Judge and his staff are just still in the process of teaching, and, and, and I'm pretty sure he dwells on his team about the mistakes. You know, if the offense could get the ball in, so the Giants could be easily four and three, five and two. If they was just if they say that the offense averaged 24 points, Cowboys game would have been won. The Eagles, the Rams, the Bears, all those games would have been won by the Giants if they just got the ball in their zone. So they have to. That offense has to work on getting the ball in. So the defense has to work on quit making mistakes, and you know they have to get that completed. And then once they start doing that, then you'll see you'll see some winning. And as for the season being over with, um, the, the the Eagles are going to lose some more games, and the Cowboys definitely going to lose some more. And I yeah, but Doug, the, the, the problem I is, I, I want to cut you off there. That's the philosophy that I'm tired of hearing about. Thank it's you, the Doug. philosophy of everybody else is going to do the heavy lifting and the Giants will back their way in. That can't be the philosophy. The Giants have to win divisional games, period. You don't win your division if you wind up 2-4 and four or even 3-3. Three and three. So, you know, the mindset can't be, oh, well, Dallas is going to go on a losing streak. Philly's going to go on a losing streak. It just it doesn't work like that. How many games do you think you're going to get into the playoffs winning five? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean come, come on. on. All right, we got one more call, Lance. Let's get to it. Mike in Virginia is our final caller. Hey, Mike. Hey, how y'all doing today, fellas? What's up, man? Um, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, I played this game for a number of years. You know, I had a couple of tryouts in the Canadian League. I was a tight end myself. It didn't work out for me, but I just want to give a little perspective from Evan Ingram's point. Sure, go ahead. That pass that, that, pass that he dropped on the hot read, I'm be honest, that's ha- that has happened to me. When you're coming off and that ball is coming in hot and it's within a five-yard gap and you're not prepared for that, that's one of the hardest passes to catch. Does he need to catch it? Yes, he does. But that is very hard to catch. Okay, fair um, enough. Uh, the pass over the shoulder, though? Yeah, man, you got to make that. <laughs> you got to make that, man. <laughs> I, I, hey, that's, that's dropping it in the bucket. That's one of the softest passes to catch. You know, your hands are different. You know, um, I don't understand where his drops are coming from. People always want to say it's concentration. It's like, yo, man, you've been catching passes all your life. So to be able to, 
I'm, I'm baffled with it myself. I've seen. Well, Mike, on those it, two, it looked like it, it looked like to me on both those plays, he short armed both of them a little bit, right? On the one over the middle, he short armed it. I think he, I think he was over yeah, the he, linebacker, he and and, yes. even, and even over yes. the shoulder, I don't think he fully extended his arms. I think he, he short armed it a little bit. He, he short armed it. He short armed the one over the shoulder, definitely. But I just don't get why he's. It's it's so inconsistent with him because coming out of college, he was known as one of the best pass catching tight ends. I know. So yeah, I don't get like. What I what I do know is repetition, repetition, repetition. So maybe he needs to get to the judge machine and just catch more passes, different angles, and work on hand strength because a lot of these passes this he last year he made the one handed catch against um Tampa Bay going across the middle. Yeah. So he can yeah. catch and then he the had ball, that great man. catch and run too for a touchdown. Right. It's not a question about talent, well, Mike. He's not lacking talent. It's not. It's no, not. it's not talent. I, I, I honestly don't know like is it concentration? Is it hand placement? Is it eye, his, like the coordination? It's hard to say. But what I will say is, honestly, that all I can honestly say is that one pass, that hot read, just ease up on them on that, people, because that is a very hard one to catch. Some wow. people make it. Yes, they do. But it is hard. Fair yeah. enough. Mike, good stuff, man. Appreciate the call. Good point. Always like to get the perspective in there. Lance, good stuff, my friend. Absolutely. Want to remind folks that Big Blue Kickoff Live was presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. It is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which you can find on Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star positive review. And the Giants Podcast Network is presented by Investors Bank. For Lance Meadow, I am John Schmelk. Enjoy your Giants-free weekend. You can enjoy some other NFL football uh, two weekends in a row, actually, there's no Giants game. That's the right, next we got game a Monday is, night game. It's Monday night against Tampa. You got it, Lance. So enjoy it. We'll see you on Monday as we continue to move into week eight for the New York football Giants. Stay safe, everybody. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Com slash compatibility.